Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. John chapter 4, beginning at verse 43. Now after the two days, he departed from there and went to Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him having seen all the things which he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they also had gone to the feast. So Jesus came to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed in his whole household. This, again, is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. Now after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the water, for the the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years when jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition for a long time he said to him do you want to be made well the sick man answered him sir i have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred but while i am coming another steps down before me jesus said to him rise take up your bed and walk and immediately the man was made well took up his bed and walked and that day was the sabbath the jews therefore said to him who was cured it is a sabbath it is not lawful for you to be carrying your bed he answered them he who made me well said to me take up your bed and walk then they said to him who is this man who said to you take up your bed and walk but the one who was healed did not know who it was for jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place afterward jesus found him in the temple and said to him See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said 
that God was his father, making himself equal with God. You may be seated. We have been studying the book of John now for a few months, and we have seen, um, and one of these days I'm going to probably not put this slide up here, and I'm going to ask you what we've seen, right? Um, That the purpose of the book is twofold. Primary purpose of the book of John writing was to declare Jesus, present Jesus, make Jesus manifested as the Son of God, who came to be the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. But the purpose, again, in that was to undergird the unity of the church. But what we have seen over and over and over again here is that John is overwhelmingly presenting the case that Jesus is God in the flesh, that he was the Son of God. And so he was the manifestation of Yahweh. Yahweh was the name of God. So when Moses came to, to God at the burning bush, you know, God appeared to him in a burning bush, and he asked him what his name was. He said, my name is Yahweh. I am that I am. Again, Yahweh is the, the one who exists. And so the things that were declared about Yahweh are fulfilled in Christ. And so Jesus is that manifestation of God on earth, okay, which is exciting stuff. And so we have seen, oh, that, yeah, so that John was going to present these signs. Sorry, I forgot I had the slide. That John was going to pre- prevent these, uh, present these signs that Jesus did to reveal who he was. And uh, we saw the water turning into wine. Today we're going to look at the, the next uh, two, number two and number three, the healing of the official son and the, the layman. Last week, though, as we considered Jesus' interactions then with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, one of the things that we talked about in this, that if Jesus was God in the flesh, then he would do those things and he would be those things that we would expect God would be. And so we looked at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, the beginning of the message last week, where we're told that God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But God desires all men to be saved. And so what we see in Christ then, as when Jesus comes, is that's exactly what we see in Jesus Christ, that, that Jesus desired for all men to be saved, regardless of where they were from. And so the, the very first time we really see this coming out in, with vibrant colors is when he's there in Sychar, a village of the Samaritans where he presents himself as the Messiah in his purpose. And so, um, so as he comes, and we, we look at him talking to the, the woman of Samaria, right? We see that Romans 2, verse 11 says there's no partiality with God. James 2, 1, do not hold the faith with partiality. That, that God is one who is not a respecter of persons. Now we're going to see the same thing played out. The reason I'm bringing this up is we're going to see the same thing played out today because I got to move quickly. We're going to look at two specific healings that Jesus did. But what's important about these healings is that they are from a full spectrum apart from each other. The first one we're going to see is here in Cana of Galilee. Jesus um, travels from Judea. He's leaving Judea. He goes through Samaria. He then comes into Galilee. Okay. And so what we're told is he goes to Cana of Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. That was the first of the signs, right? But what we're immediately told right off the bat is that he's approached by this official. This official 
finds out that he has come into Galilee. And so he leaves Capernaum and he comes to meet Jesus in Cana. Now, the first thing we want to know is who is the official, okay? Well, the identity of the man, he is called a uh, basilikos, okay? And if you remember the ekos, we talked about this, it was last week. Last week we talked about pneumatikos, the um, sikakikos, and the sarkakikos man, okay? In the ekos, does anybody remember what the ekos at the end means? Ooh, that's okay. The ekos means that you are governed or controlled by that, okay? So the basil, the basilica, is, has to do with a king or a kingdom, okay? And so this is an individual who is pertaining to or belonging to a king, okay? And so whatever the king says for him to do, he does. So this is a king's official. Now, is this Joanna's husband? Is this Chuzah, who was the steward of Herod that we read about in other parts of scriptures? I can't tell you that. Okay? There are some who would, who would think that that potentially is. But he is a king's servant. Okay? So think about this from this perspective. Okay? You have a member of uh, President Biden's okay, cabinet who comes down to talk to you. Okay? Would that be an honor? It would be an honor. Don't go on the political side, y'all. Don't do the political thing. Okay? But it would be an honor. Okay? For, for real, if you had somebody who was of, of, of a political stature who came to talk to you, it would be considered an honor to you. Wouldn't that depend on the uh, subject of the conversation? It would depend on the subject of the conversation. Maybe so. Maybe so. But again, I don't want to need the p- political realm. The point is that when somebody who is of substance comes to you, okay? So in one, one manner, Jesus is receiving this guy. This guy comes to him, and he implores him to be able to come down to heal his son, right? One would think, from the worldly perspective, this is a guy that you want to have on your side. Make good political friends. You never know what day you'll need them, right? Isn't that worldly thinking? Okay? But that's not Jesus' thinking. Jesus doesn't think the way the world thinks. Rather, we're told to change the way we think, right? To put on the mind of Christ, not the mind of the world. We already have the mind of the world. We're already influenced by the world. And so we're told to change the way we think. And so this guy comes, but look at the magnitude then of his request. It just is amazing to me when you think about this, okay? This guy comes to Jesus, right? And he says to Jesus, what? Come down now to Capernaum. Now, again, you're not thinking about this, okay? So I got a slide up here to help us think about this, okay? This is exactly what he's asking Jesus to do, okay? So they're down here in Cana. He's from Capernaum up there on the shore, okay? And you can see by Google Maps today, following along the good roads, it's a little over seven-hour walk, okay? That's not a drive, that's a walk, Okay? So we're talking about a full, long day's travel. We're not even talking about the other people who may be there in Cana wanting to hear the teacher speak, who may be there for healings as well. But this guy shows up, and he's a king's official, and he expects what? He expects the thaumaturgist to come. You say, what? Well... He doesn't appear to be a believer in Jesus because Jesus rebukes him. He says, unless you people see a sign or a wonder, you won't believe. 
Now, in that day, there were things called thaumatargists. Yes, I know the word. I actually can spell it without even looking it up, but it's hard to say. Anyways, but thaumatso is the Greek word. Thaumatso is the Greek word for a wonder or an amazement, okay? And so there were individuals who were able to do wonders and amazements. Remember, Jesus said in the end times that there would be false prophets who would come, and they would be able to do signs and wonders as well. And be careful, because... They're not of him. So be careful that not every wonder actually comes from God. God's got a purpose for the signs and wonders. The purpose of signs and wonders, again, is to point people to Jesus Christ. Once you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you don't need signs and wonders. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is all about. That's what 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, is specifically all about. We read it at at marriages and weddings, but really the whole idea of chapter 13 is that that it is that which is perfect. That once you come to know Christ, you don't need signs and wonders. Jesus says, unless you people see these signs and wonders, you won't believe. It wasn't a compliment. You don't need a sign and a wonder to know that God loves you. He's declared it. Testimonies of moms today, right? So they came from the husbands. They didn't come from the kids. So I'm not going to point out names and I'm not going to have you raise your hands, okay? But kids, you look at me eyeball to eyeball. Man, oh, man, oh, right? Okay. Do you know your mom loves you? You know your mom loves you. It's just how it goes, right? You don't need her. To, it's nice when she makes chocolate chip cookies and that kind of stuff. But, but you don't need the chocolate chip cookies to know that mom loves you. That's the whole point here. This guy isn't a believer yet. And Jesus rebukes him right off the bat. And says, unless you, and then note, in, it says in italicies, people, right? So get rid of the italicies. Unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. But this is kind of neat, because Jesus then takes this guy head on. Don't you wonder sometimes how many things that Jesus spoke non-verbally? I mean, what else was going on? There, there was more that went on at this moment, right? Because he rebukes this guy. And this guy's initial reaction then was to come back with, No, but you got to come down. What happened at this moment? In this very moment when this guy says, no, but you've got to come down, Jesus turns around with a mandate. and says, your son's well. Go your way. Think about what we just told him. Lord, I need you to come down. What does he want him to do? He wants him to put his hands on him. That's what he's thinking. He's thinking, Jesus has got to come down and to touch him. The power is going to flow through this guy. So there was a, the, the feeling, the belief that for the Jewish people that the, 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 the power would flow through this thaumaturgist, okay? And even through their robes, think the woman who was cured of the blood flow for 12, okay? She believed that if she could just touch the, the tzitzis, the hem of his garment, okay? If she could just touch the fringe of his garment, she would be healed because they believed that the power would flow through the individual, okay? So he wants Jesus to come down. So what 
whatever this power is that this guy's got will flow through him into his son and heal his son. Jesus already rebukes them and says, unless you see a sign of wonder, you won't believe. So here's what we're going to do. Your son's healed. Go your way. You got a dilemma right now, don't you? Say it again. Good. He just proved him wrong. Well, in a sense, he didn't. I mean, I'm, I'm going where you were going. To these, he didn't have to. Right. From that perspective. But go ahead. it was an exercise of faith because now this guy's got a decision to make, doesn't he? I mean, I think you got to come down again. I don't think he believes necessarily believes Jesus is the Messiah. He's struggling with who this guy is, but he's heard about this guy who's a healer. And so he's coming to the healer because he loves his son. Get it? And he's willing to stoop to whatever level he's got to go to in order for his son to be healed. And so here's the guy who's the healer, and he's come back into Galilee. I don't have to go into Samaria as the king's official, right? And so he takes off, and he, and he, and he gets Jesus in, in Cana, right? But he still believes he's got to come down and let the power flow through him. Jesus says, I'm telling you, he's healed right now. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Have you ever had Jesus tell that to you? Not maybe about healing, but maybe the situation's taken care of. Do you believe me? I remember coming back from Atlanta. And I was struggling. Man, I was mad. I was struggling. I was frustrated. I was everything but rejoiceful. Uh, rejoiceful. That's good. Joyful or rejoicing. Put both of those together. I wasn't either one of them. And, um, and, I'm, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm praying. And I'm, and I'm praying about a specific individual. Because and, and, they were the source of my problem. And, 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 uh, and, 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 I'm, and I'm asking God to, 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 to intervene. And, and God just said, worship me. And I said, God, you don't get it. It's kind of hard to worship you when this situation has gone on. You've got to take care of this situation. And he just said, worship me. I'm like Peter. It takes three times. And so I started singing um, Agnes Dea. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For the Lord God Almighty he reigns. And I have to ask myself what? Does he? Does he? Does he reign? Does he reign over the fears of men or not? And so anyways, one praise song led into another praise song, which led into another praise song, and it's before I realized that I was rejoyful. Anyways, I, <laughs> I didn't remember my faux pas. Anyways, I was rejoicing and I was joyful. Okay? And so I was excited again. Now, did the situation go away? No, I was sort of there. But I had it in perspective now. It was all in perspective. I had a decision to make. Now, mine wasn't as big as this guy's decision. This is a massive decision. I had that decision to make when Gabrielle was not quite two, when she had Guillain Beret. You remember that day, Steve? It's the first time I met Steve. First time I met Steve. He is verbose right now. You think Steve's quiet now? You should have met him back then. 
Are you embarrassed? You should be embarrassed. Anyways, <laughs> Steve and I have been meeting now for almost 18 years, every Wednesday. Um, Tuesdays now, but um, I praise God for doctors and giving them wisdom. My, do- my daughter, my born on July 8th firecracker, fireworks, sparkles were in her eyes, energy was all through her. You guys have those kind of kids, right? She couldn't walk. And then the next day, she couldn't even pick up her hands. And within another 24 hours, she couldn't even sit up. And there was no tone in her face. She was like this, crumpled in a, uh, in a hospital crib. The Friday before that, the day before that, when Steve went to Steve, Steve says, she's got Guillain-Bray. We believe she's got Guillain-Bray. You need to go to the hospital. There'll be a pediatric neurologist waiting for you. And I said, I'm a guy, right? It's about dinner time. When should we go? Like, after dinner, tomorrow morning. And he, I'll never forget it. Steve looks at me with this incredulous eyes, like, are you really that big of an idiot? I don't know if he was thinking it, but he should have been. And he says, they're waiting on you. Go. <laughs> Anyways. And I remember that Friday night saying, okay, God, we give you our kids if this is how you want to be glorified. And then she's yours. We were told that night, if she survives, she'll be in a wheelchair the rest of her life. By this time tomorrow, she'll be on a respirator. And if she makes it through the weekend, then hopefully she'll survive, but she'll be in a wheelchair. I get excited when I hear her play the piano. This guy has that decision to make. Because he thinks Jesus has got to touch him for him to get healed. And now Jesus has said what? I don't have to touch him. He's healed. And this guy has a life and death decision to make. That's faith. Faith isn't the easy stuff. Faith isn't the, well, I think I'll have grape on my sandwich today. I love peanut butter and jelly. Grape's the best. But no, no, I think I'll go strawberry. That's, 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 those are wimpy decisions. It's when it's life and death is when you really know how much you believe. In this, in this moment, this guy became a believer. Have you ever watched Indiana Jones? And it's the one where he goes for the, the, the Holy Grail. And he comes to the, the chasm. And he looks at the chasm. I did this with the kids either this fall or a year ago. Because it's the perfect illustration of faith. He comes out. And he's got a chasm. And he's got to figure out what he's going to do. And the book tells him, think of the little book as the Bible. The little book tells him he's got to go across and so finally he puts the book to his chest and he takes a step and he goes like this, right? I asked the kids, because I showed the little portion cut out the, the Egyptian God type stuff. But anyways, at what point was their faith? It wasn't when he's standing there. It wasn't when he's analyzing. It's when he went like this. Not even when he went like this, because he still come back, right? I mean, think about it, okay? It's when he did this, when all the momentum 
went forward and there was no turning back. That's when faith kicks in. This guy's faith kicks in at this very moment. Well, because his dad. I, I get that. But forget that part of it. But I agree. And his dad's being back there and his dad's saying, believe, believe. Anyways, but, but the point is, it's, it's that aspect of faith. Decision. Oh, yeah, life or death. Good. Yeah, no, but he's right. It's life and death because it's still life and death. He's got to make a decision. Well, maybe so, but it's still a perfect illustration. Don't ruin my illustration. And, uh, <laughs> you guys are killing me. You know, we've been talking about the hecklers, you know. <laughs> Anyways, so I feel like I'm, I'm Fozzie Bear. Anyways, so, but for real though, okay, so he's got this faith and he goes. I think this is ex- exciting kind of stuff because then we have the realization of the miracle after the fact. He's already on his way back to Capernaum. It wasn't like the servant came while he was in Cana and said, you won't believe this, but your, your child is whole. Oh, okay, I got to leave now. He was already on the way back, halfway back when the servant met him and said, your son is whole. And he's like, wow, okay, yes. Do you ever have the, one of those feelings where you, you took a step of faith, but you're still kind of what? Yeah, unsure. You're unsure. But then all of a sudden you see the hand of God come through in an amazing, mighty way. And you just can't stop but what? Praising Him. Rejoicing Him. Because you realize that God is faithful like He declares Himself to be. And He says, when did it happen? About this time yesterday. And then we're told, not only was He a believer, but then what? His whole family got saved. Guys, that's how important it is for guys <coughs> to be faithful in Christ. They will follow our example. If it's important to dad, it will be important to the rest of the family. The Pool of Bethesda, chapter 5. Um, we come to this Pool of Bethesda. Now, I want to deal with it quickly just a name real fast, because I think it's fun, because you know my favorite word in the entire Bible is the word what? Chesed. Chesed. So this is actually the Beit Chesed. So Bethesda is literally Beit Chesed. It's the house of the loving, faithful kindness. How cool is that? Okay? And so um, so the, the Chesed is faithful, loving kindness. So you see that in the, in the, in the Old Testament translated as faithfulness, loving kindness, mercy, a lot of different ways, okay? But it is the faithful, loving kindness of God to the objects of his covenant. This pool is called the house of faithful, loving kindness. Now, I can't tell you that there's a whole lot more into that, but I think it's kind of neat, okay, that it's there. In this pool has a reputation, okay? Now, again, you need to understand a little bit of the Jewishness of what's going on behind her. Bless you. Thank you. Um, I knew what she was leaving for. But that was of her mother. And so, thank you, my wife. And, um, and so, um, there was this, again, reputation for the pool of Bethesda. That there was this stirring. Okay? Now, we read that an angel stirred it. 
Okay, but this again is the Jewish tradition, the Jewish custom. Was it? I don't know. Okay, John declared it to be so. Was this a moment where, where God is inspiring him to write exactly what was going on, or was he actually writing to us the, the Jewish custom, the Jewish tradition? Okay? So I'm not going to tell you that it was really an angel stirring it or whether it wasn't an angel stirring it. Okay? All we know is that there was some kind of a miraculous thing that happened, okay? and every once in a while the water stirred. And the per- first person who got into the water, at least by its reputation, was what? Healed. Okay, um, reputations generally start because they are partially, at least, true. Does it make sense? Okay, so apparently there had to have been people being healed by this. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a whole herd of people there who are paralyzed and firmed and everything else, hoping to be the first one into the pool. So Jesus enters into this, this situation, okay, and we're going to deal with this one with our five W's. Uh, I'll, I'll add the how in, in with the what in just a little bit. But, the, you know, whenever you're writing an article or you're doing an investigation, you do the who, what, where, why, and when, and then the how, okay? So the where is at the pool of Bethesda. The who is this individual that we're going to talk about. And I think this is really interesting. The identity of the man is just called some man. Now, in, the King, in New King James, it's called a certain man. But literally, in the, in, the, in, the, in the Greek, it's just some man, just some guy, just some guy. It's not a matter of who he was. That wasn't important. But the fact that he was, that is important. Okay? That's huge to me. We go from this official of the king to who? A nobody. A nobody. A nobody. But no, Jesus does something for the nobody that he didn't necessarily do for the king's official. He went to him. The king's official went to Cana to get him. Jesus didn't go to Capernaum because he knew the king's official's son had a, had, a, had a healing need. Do you get where I'm going? Okay. This guy didn't come searching for Jesus. Jesus went back into Jerusalem and went directly to the pool of Bethesda because he had an appointment. The guy didn't know it, though. Now, so it wasn't a matter... It was important about who he was, just that he was. That ought to give you a lot of encouragement. Because we're a whole lot of nobodies here. But you're not a nobody to God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God knit you specifically together in your mother's womb, and he knows the days of your lives. Isn't that exciting stuff? And he loves you with an everlasting love. People say, well, then why does this happen? Because sin is in the world, and God gave you a free will, and God gave a free will, and he allows us to live. But you know what? He still loves us, and that's why he came and he died for us, so that we can be with him forever. That's kind of cool. I'm not looking forward to getting more of this sinful world. I'm looking forward to the day when I leave the sinful world and I spend an eternity in the presence of he who loves me. So, the identity of the man, but the individuality of the man. There were others at the pool who were not healed. Again, I don't want to just slide past this, because all this stuff about healings and stuff like that, look, Jesus didn't heal everybody. Deal with this one. Struggle with this one. There was a whole lot of people in that pool. And there were a whole lot of people at that pool when he left. 
One man got healed. One man. All this health and wealth, name it, claim it stuff, throw it out the window, y'all. Jesus heals who he chooses to heal. And he heals again for a reason. And that is that people will know who he is. My brother and his wife went to Africa, Uganda, years ago. And they're not from uh, that Pentecostal holiness church. Okay, so, okay. But there was a woman who was bent up. And she and this other man, not my brother, were in an area witnessing, and they felt led to, she, as in my sister-in-law Sandy, felt led to pray for this woman, just felt the burden, can we pray for you? And they prayed for her, and as they prayed for her, she stood up straight. And the testimony of Christ became real in that community. My brother went to, not Tibet, oh. Nepal, thank you. Yeah, you remember this. No, no, okay, but you're right, it's Nepal. Uh, um, no, it's neat, because it's a closed country. While he was there, one, they, they had to always be careful what day they were going out, because of whether they were, uh, would be arrested or whatever with sharing the gospel. And he went into this village, and he saw this guy washing his, his, his yak with one arm because his other arm was gimped. And so, again, he felt led by the Lord to pray for him. Can I pray for you? Yes, you can. So he prayed for him. Nothing happened. The guy was still gimpy when he left. The next day, they couldn't go into the village because the government was shutting everything down. But the next day, they could go. The next day, he goes into the village... And as he goes into the village, who does he see in the river? He sees the guy there cleaning his jack with two arms. And now all of a sudden, he has a free reign of proclaiming the gospel because the whole village knows of the miraculous healing. Do you get what I'm saying? Everybody didn't get healed that day. Everybody didn't get healed in Africa. But the healing came as a result of being able to open up the message for the gospel. Now, those are two people in my day that I know. And I've told you about how I was able to speak Spanish in Peru, and I don't speak Spanish. And the Lord allowed me to witness two little kids, and they got saved. I had to grab my translator, my interpreter, to find out if they understood, because I couldn't be, figure it out with, how to figure out whether they understood, because I couldn't understand it. Signs and wonders. All those things are signs and wonders. And so we can talk more about tongues later, but Isaiah is very clear that it was a sign to the Jews, and Paul's very clear in, in 1 Corinthians 14 that it's a sign to unbelievers. Signs and wonders are given for unbelievers to come to know Christ as their Savior. That's, throughout the scriptures, that's the ultimate point of what signs and wonders are for. Okay? Now, I, again, does God, God holds the right 
to do whatever he chooses to do. Does that make sense? Now, do I believe that he does signs and wonders even amongst us and that he heals believers? 100% I do. But what is the ultimate goal and purpose of it? To give him glory and to make Jesus known. You get, you get a platform. Do you understand? There's a, a woman, this is an aside because of that, but it's a good aside. Years ago, someone gave me the audio book of Christopher Reeves. Is that the guy who played Superman? Okay. He read it himself with a trach. I don't recommend it. Please don't listen to it. He uses all kinds of cuss words and everything through it. I couldn't listen to the second book, second part of it. I just was just done with it. Okay. But this is his testimony, spoken by him, okay, on this audio book. He had an accident. It was a horse riding accident. He was thrown from a horse. And I can't tell you which of the vertebrae, but he went through the whole detail of it, okay, of what was the problem. And he was in this good hospital. Um, My mind's blanking on the name of the hospital. Anyways, and in the room with him, because it was a specialized area, was a woman, okay, who had the exact same injury that happened in the exact same way. She was thrown from a horse, and she had the exact same injury. The only, this is his testimony. Do you understand? I'm, this is, I'm, I'm almost quoting him. I'm sure I'm messing it up a little bit, but this is his testimony. The only difference between the two of them was that she had people praying for her. You ready for this? She was healed. He wasn't. Now, you think at this moment, the guy telling you this would say, Whoa! No. She thinks it's because of prayer. I know it's not. That's his words. That was his testimony. How sad is that? God allowed you to see the power before your very eyes, and you rejected it. And you began to curse him instead, rather than calling upon him. The individuality of men. God doesn't heal everybody. He doesn't heal everybody. He reserves the right to heal anybody he wants to, but he doesn't necessarily have to. He, he is not the genie in the bottle for me. I don't rub the bottle. He comes out and says, what do you want me to do for you? I want you to heal me. It doesn't happen that way. Okay? We kind of act like God has to do what I, what I want him to do. It's all according to his will, according to his purpose, according to his pleasure. The infirmary of the man... Look at this. This is important. He had this sickness, illness, or frailty for 38 years. The importance of this is huge. From the perspective that everybody knew, you're good, everybody knew that this guy had it, okay? So it's not something that's, that, well, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. No, no, he had it, okay? And so what then happens? Well, we have the healing. Jesus comes to him. I think it's a great first, first line, isn't it? Hey, do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be made whole? Duh, yeah, well, that's kind of why I'm here, right? But I think it's an important question right off the bat. Do you really want to be made whole? There are sometimes in marital counseling, I wonder whether people really want to be made whole. Okay? Do you really want to be made whole? So this guy comes back and says, well... I can't get there. 
Every time the water is stirred, somebody else gets there before me. So Jesus says to him the exact same thing he does to the, the guy. for the Treats him the same way, doesn't he? Okay. So let's find out what you're really trusting in. Take up your bed and walk. I say to you, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and walk. Again, don't you wonder, how did Jesus say that? Do you really want to be made whole? Well, you know, da, 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 da. arise, take up your bed and walk. I mean, how did he say it? I mean, is he mind melting? Did he put it into him all of a sudden? I mean, because you're saying to me, I've been here 38 years, and somebody keeps beating me in the pool, but now all I got to do is what? Get up. All I got to do is stand up. Dude, do you realize I've been this way for 38 years? I can't get up. That's why people keep beating me to the pool. Again, it comes to what? A matter of faith. Now, we're told one little detail there, though. One little detail that I find very interesting. Jesus says to him, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and walk. And what's the next line? Immediately what? Immediately what? He was made, he was made well. Then he what? Arose. There's one little thing that happened in the middle of that. Jesus said it, and he was what? He was healed. Don't you wonder if he felt something in his body? I mean, Jesus said it, and what happened? He was healed. It wasn't a matter he had to wait. Here, use these crutches. Maybe it'll get stronger. Jesus said it, and immediately he was made whole. Now, we're going to talk about that a little bit more in just a second. But then he got up, he took his bed, and he walked, right? What do you think happened in that moment? Jesus finds him later in the temple and says to him, Okay, look, now that you're better, what was that? Stop sinning. Sin no more unless what? Something worse happens to you. What was the cause of his infirmity? Sin. It was a consequence. It was a, a recompense. You were got to be here for Sunday school to understand that. It was a recompense for his activities, for his actions. He had sinned. And whatever he did, I don't know what he did. It doesn't tell us. He was infirmed. For 38 years. Now, I'm going to pick on smoking for a second. And, and I don't mean this as only picking on smoking. Okay, I'm not targeting smokers. So if you're a smoker, I'm not targeting you. You can put whatever of these situations in. Okay, personally, I think I used to smoke. Okay, I was a smoker. <coughs> and I think, yeah, that was timing, wasn't it? That was timing. Um, that wasn't intentional, but that's true. Thank you. Um, thank you, Mark. Um, so, but that's good timing. 
that happens, though, when somebody smokes for many, many years. Their skin becomes all dried up. Again, I'm not picking on, I smoked for years. When I got saved, I still continued to smoke, and I still drank. And I, finally one day I realized, as I, I said, God, this is your, your nasty habit. You need to get rid of it. And he did. Instantaneously, he did. Okay? I went to an officer's club in, in Fort Knox um, a little while later, and the, other, the captain who was with me went up, and, and I told him to get me, uh, I don't know if I, I think, I probably said a root beer. I, I think I said Coke. But anyways, but he brought back two beers. And I'm struggling. Lord, what do I do? You took this away from me. So I said, ah, oh, one beer, it's not going to be a problem. So I went to drink the beer, and I literally... I mean, so you got a mug. I drank about that much. My world was spinning around. I was ready to throw up, spinning. I mean, he's driving back, and I'm like, the world just got to stop. And God told me I took it away. I took it away. But anyways, but an individual who smokes has a greater likelihood of having what? Lung problems. Okay? We can talk emphysema. We can talk about lung cancer. We can talk about mouth cancer. We can talk about a lot of things. Okay? There's, a, there's just a natural consequence that comes to it. Okay? Now, extrapolate that now and put that to areas of sin in your life. Okay? If you are promiscuous, you have a greater chance of getting diseases. Okay? So I don't know what this guy did, but Jesus is very clear that this guy's 38 years of infirmity was as a result of his sin. So when Jesus asked him, do you want to be made whole? I'm thinking that this is more like the boy who was paralytic, whom Jesus, when the paralyzed boy was lowered down, Jesus didn't heal the boy. What did he do? He forgave him of his sins. He forgave his sins. And everybody was amazed. Who is this that can forgive sins, right? And so he asked them, do you want to be made whole? And I think he's talking right into this guy. Again, I wonder how Jesus, I mean, sometimes Jesus penetrates. Have you ever read the word and had the word penetrate you? And you felt like it was written right to you at that moment? And you're like, how did you know about me 2,000 years later? And so he says to the guy, Take up your bed and walk. I wonder if the feeling that he had at that moment he was made whole was that there was really more of a forgiveness in a sense of the loss of the paralysis in whatever else was going on. Like the boy who had the paralysis. All of a sudden his paralysis is gone because his guilt was gone. That's called a um, conversion disorder, what we would call conversion disorder today, where you have suppressed guilt and it comes out into your body so that you can't do things. But Jesus turns around, so heed, 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 heed the statement. Be careful not to do it again, unless what? Something worse happens. Sometimes we're given grace. We're given grace, and we push the grace. Driving fast is rebelling against the governing authorities. That's sin. That's Romans 13. And sometimes God in his grace doesn't allow us to get hurt. But other times he allows the consequence to occur. That would be called recompense. When did it happen? It happened on the Shabbat. 
on the Sabbath, the seventh day of the week. This made him public enemy number one because he was going against the Shabbat. He was going against the Sabbath, which no man was allowed to do any work. But Jesus came back and he says, but my father, my father has been working until now. And so I'm doing his work. Well, that made it even worse because now he not only broke the Sabbath, but he said that God was his father, making himself what? Equal to God. I think the healing of this guy at the pool of Bethesda was to open up these conversations. Do you get it? He knew. God knew where this would lead. And it led to these provocations. You wonder why certain things go on in your life. Because God's got a bigger plan. He's weaving a tapestry. You may not understand it as that thread's being brought through. But God knows where the thread's going next. And God knows what he wants to do through your life. And how he's going to use you. So the question is, who is Jesus to you? Is he God? Is he the, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the most high God, who came to the earth as the son of God to be the lamb of God, to take away the sins of the world? Do you believe that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you could ever ask or think according to the power that works in us? That's from Ephesians chapter 3. Is he able to do beyond what you think he can do? Is there a situation in your life in which you need to fully trust Christ to intercede on your behalf? Can he handle it from a distance? And are you willing to heed what he says, even if you don't see an immediate result with it? Is he asking you to trust him without seeing the results first, or asking you to walk away from a sinful past? Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. We know that, know that you alone are the most high God. There is no other God but you. And that you came to this earth in order to pay for the penalty of our sins, to die for us. And Lord, the fullness of that power and that authority is at our disposal. Not for us to do whatever we choose to do, but Lord, to be your, your hands, to be your feet, to be your, your, your vessels. Lord, help us to be vessels of honor. Lord, help us to believe by faith that you are able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think, and that you want to use us in a mighty way. Lord, help us not to be selfish and to self-centered in that power, but Lord, to understand that you want to use that power through us to bring others to you. Help us to be about your kingdom's purpose, Lord. To seek your kingdom and your righteousness. I pray that you would cause the fields that are white unto harvest to be reaped. Help us to be faithful, Lord. To go forth in faith. In Christ's name, amen.